a life right is enabling certain certainty during one's lifetime in exchange for a payment after one's lifetime. Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. Now, age comes to all of us. Some of you may already be there uh, or have parents who are retired. And the big decision is whether or not to downsize and move into a retirement village. Now, this is never an easy decision. Apart from the emotional aspect of leaving your home, there are also different types of retirement villages which come with different financial models. To help us unpack this and to look at the pros and cons, we're chatting to Barry uh, Kaganson, CEO of Aurora Senior Living, who develops and manages senior living communities. So welcome, Barry, to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Barry, I want to kick off straight away with the, the, the question of life rights. So, and and the difference between life rights and sectional titles. So you have a lot of these different retirement villages. People see them advertised or they want to go and join them. But there's a fundamental difference between ownership. Um, how do you yeah, perhaps unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, thanks, Maya. I think it's a very good question. But I think before one answers that question, one, one actually needs to look at the reason why people move into retirement villages or, or more specifically, as we like to call them, senior living communities. And I'll tell you why we say that. Because if you look in the dictionary under the word retirement, it actually says to put out of service or to withdraw, um, which really is not an indicator of what one should be doing in one's later years. So as people get older, um, the, the main concerns really are health and care and uh, financial issues, as you, as you correctly pointed out. Um, and both of these talk to the reasons why they would want to move into a retirement village or a, or, or a senior living community. Um, and both of these are impacted by the type of retirement village that people are moving into. So the question of do, do you know sectional title versus life rights is not so much a financial question as it is a question around how is the community operated and how is the community managed. And, and why, I, why I say that's important is, is a couple of things, but I'll start off with the first one, and that is for, for a, um, a well-run and, and, and efficient uh, retirement village, one needs certain aspects to be functional and prevalent, or present, I should say, within the community. And these are um, lifestyle amenities such as restaurants and dining options and uh, health and wellness facilities, all the way through to care, being assisted living, and what is currently known as South Africa's frail care and dementia care. Um, so when one looks at from a, from a property perspective, from a, from a development perspective, when one looks at a traditional residential property development, um, generally there's about 10 to 15% of the gross building area that is non-saleable. This is a normal residential townhouse type development. And that would be corridors and stuff like that. Uh, maybe a little clubhouse or something like that. In, in a retirement, um, in a, in, in a bona fide senior living community, um, that number, if one includes the care facilities, that non-saleable area can be as much as 40% for zero. So the impact on that from a developer perspective is anyone developing a sectional title retirement village is absolutely not incentivized to build these areas because it's just eating away at their margin, which they only have one um, shot at at earning, okay? So there's a complete disincentive on a developer to build those areas. Whereas a life rights operator who's going to be owning this into perpetuity 
and hopefully reselling life rights as time goes on, they are incentivized to create an environment that supports the needs of people moving into that environment. So that's the, that's the first issue to bear in mind when one looks at life rights versus sexual title. That is that generally life rights retirement communities are better built to serve the needs of their residents. The second one is from an operational perspective. In a, in a life rights retirement village, generally the owner is the operator and the owner is incentivized in the long term through capital appreciation of these life rights to ensure that that community is well run. And generally these, um, these owners and operators are obviously professionally managed businesses whose, in most cases, sole operations are running these senior living communities and retirement villages. And they are, are experts in running it and that's all they do. And their um, expertise um, is the their expertise and the efficiency in the way they run them is their major determinant in their long-term capital appreciation and their long-term economic benefit in the, in, the, in the retirement village. And that means that their interests, the interests of the owner and the operator are completely aligned with the interest of the residents. I just want to now, take a step back there. Sorry, Barry, I just want to take yeah. a step back there just for our yeah. listeners who may not be aware of what we mean by sectional title versus life rights. So sectional title is you actually, it's like buying into a townhouse complex. You own yeah. the property, it's yours, yes. you pay the levies, yes. all of those things. Yes. Um, when you yes. die, you it goes to your estate. You know, It's just like Correct. a normal ownership of a property. So maybe just explain how a life rights is different. So a life right is really what, what you're buying in a life right is you're buying the right of occupation to that unit for your natural life or that of your spouse so combined. Um, generally, the capital appreciation um, accrues to the owner operator of the of the retirement village and in in many circumstances the repayment is a percentage of the amount that's originally invested and the, the important difference which i was getting to which you kind of just alluded to in your question as most people would know a sectional title complex is administered or run by a, by a body corporate comprising the owners essentially um, so what what essentially happens in a in a um, sectional title retirement village is one has the owners making decisions about the long-term management of that um, retirement village. And generally those decisions are made by people who necessarily aren't, or in the vast majority of cases, aren't experienced or qualified in running a retirement village. Um, they are retired people from various walks of life. And generally their incentive actually is to keep levies as low as possible. So really what happens is that um, these villages are run on, a, on an extremely low budget um, and not necessarily in the long-term interests of all the residents. Whereas if one has a, a, a life rights um, senior living community run by a professional operator who has a long-term long vested interest in um, the long-term success of that village, residents actually do benefit from that. And that's really the reason why um, or the justification for that life right and for that foregoing of the capital upside, because what it really is, is a pay on exit model. Um, when one is living in a, in a life rights community, one is paying a monthly levy, which re essentially reflects the costs of living there. The, there isn't margin in these, in these numbers, and it's generally a very efficient way to live. A life rights operator is also able to fix those costs into the future. So for example, in our communities, you know exactly what you're going to be paying on that levy for the rest of your life. There's no surprises. There's no special levies. Um, it's totally predictable. So, so sitting up front, talking to your point about affordability, one knows, of course, no one knows what their life expectancy is, but one can make reasonable assumptions around what, 
one's future living costs are going to be. Whereas in a sexual type type development, there is no certainty on that. Mm-hmm. So that's really the some of the principal differences. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a life right is enabling certain certainty during one's lifetime in exchange for a payment after one's lifetime. And I think it's a very important point from an investment perspective. It is not a life right should not be considered. Uh, well, never mind a life right. An, an investment into a retirement community or senior living community for the person moving in should not be considered a financial investment. It's an investment in one's quality of life, well-being, and care for the rest of one's life. That's what it is. The time for to make financial investments is is when one is younger. The average age of people moving into these senior living communities, continuing care senior living communities around the world, is actually 78. And that, that's the global statistic, and it's absolutely true in South Africa. We see it in our communities. And the average age of people living in these communities is about 82 globally, and exactly true in South Africa as well. And people often think it's people in their 50s and 60s. That's not. When one gets close to one's 80s, one's primary consideration should not be investing capital for future upside if one is considering moving into one of these communities. One's primary consideration is health and predictability of finances, and those two are intellect. And that is the that is the benefit of buying into a life rights community, and that is buying into a well-managed, well-run community where all one's needs, no matter what they are currently or maybe in the future, are taken care of at a cost that's predictable. And for that, one is paying a fee, what we call on exit. In other words, when you are no longer there, there's a fee that is taken. But of course, it has no cash flow impact you during your lifetime. So it isn't actually relevant during your life. Yeah, so, so I just want to also just, I'm going to explain to you how I understand life rights. Again, talking about that 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 capital uh, payment or, or payment on exit. So so basically, I would come along, maybe I buy in. I must tell you that the prices between uh, a Johannesburg life rights and a Cape Town life rights are very different. I must tell you. Property prices are a lot higher in Cape Town. But um, so say you buy into a 2 million rand uh, life rights uh, complex. You pay the 2 million rand, but there is um, a, an agreement that at upon your death that the uh, you get paid out a percentage of that 2 million that you paid in. And um, so your estate obviously gets paid out that amount. Now that amount yeah. does differ between different uh, communities. So sometimes you get back the full capital. Sometimes you get back 70% of the capital. Sometimes you even get a bit of upside. They say, well, whatever, you get 25% of the profit. Yeah. So that's something yeah. uh, perhaps you can explain why that would be different. But then the other key thing that um, that I've seen and how people use this is that so they live in the life rights with the understanding that there's a, there's a percentage chance they will land up in frail care. And the frail care is often part of the life rights community. And so the they move into frail care and the property is then uh, sold or 50 sold. Um, and whatever capital is owed to that person is actually then used for the frail care. So again, it's been never seen as an investment. It is very much seen as, as providing for the long-term care towards the end of your life. Would that be a, a good summary? I think that's a great summary. Yeah, that's exactly right. So mm-hmm. that capital is released if someone moves to to a care environment, and 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 I must stress that you know it's not a it's not a um, a guaranteed progression in any way. It's actually a very small percentage of people living in continuing care retirement communities who actually ever end up in a full time care environment, be it assisted living or dementia care. So it is a small percentage of residents who 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 who, who do that. Um, most residents actually stay in their in their independent living unit you know, for many years without ever having to go into a full-time care environment. So mm-hmm. it's 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 more a um, 
the contingency type of uh, thinking than that a certainty. People mustn't think it's a, it's a natural progression in moving into a continuing care. It's absolutely not. It is a small percentage. And that's why uh, a lot of our care centres um, service people outside of the community as well. And at any point in time, in our care centres, it's probably around 50% who are residents in the who were previously residents in the community and 50% of people say who came from outside mm. because of that fact. And I must say, you know, you, you know, you spoke about the levies and my mom is at that stage of her life where she's making this decision and she lives in a sectional title at the moment. She has been for 20 yeah. years. And when she saw the levies um, at the retirement village that we were looking at, she thought, she said, my goodness, I get that's what I pay for my sectional title, but I get my lunch as well because they included 15 lunches or something. So, and I think that yeah. has been quite interesting for me when I've done the exercise and I've analyzed it, is that the levies are actually very reasonable. Um, and, I, and that is a point yeah, you, that, to make. That, that, that's a brilliant point. And, and being, being kind of who you are in, in your industry, you would, you would have done the sums, if you know what I mean. But, but most people haven't. So, so they hear a number and they think, oh, that sounds like a lot. But when you actually break it down, a lot of people don't actually on a monthly basis, sit and work out what it costs them, as you say, to live in that sectional title unit or to live in that freestanding house. And one must remember when, when moving into one of these communities, one's actually benefiting from the economies of scale and the professional management within that community. So your cost of living actually is probably largely comparable to what it is living outside. But as you say, whether it's meals or this or that or whatever else, you, you're getting a lot more for similar money. Um, mm. moving into a, a well-run senior living community. So I think your point is right, that often people hear a number for a levy and, they, and they, they think it sounds like a lot, but they must actually investigate and understand exactly what's included in that levy, compare that to what they currently are paying for these various services, consider that they're going to be getting a whole lot more than what they currently have wherever they're living, and then make the assessment based on that. And generally you'll find that from a financial perspective on a monthly cost, you're actually better off being in one of these communities. And Barry, getting back to that question of mine of how does the, the, the model work? So do you have a standard uh, kind of contract across all of your um, properties in all of your regions or does it differ between regions? As I said, I've come across such different models, some where you get your full capital back, some only percentage, some with profit. You know, what drives those um, those factors? Yeah, there's a number of factors. So some of the life rights capital sort of proceeds are used to to fund the operations, which is why in those instances you'd find a lower percentage repaid. In other words, they might have a slightly lower levy, monthly levy, okay. but then the amount they take at the end might be different. So they're all they're various models depending, of course, on the size of the community might be an, might be another factor as well. So a, a smaller community might have a higher or a lower payback, in other words, a higher uh, fee because they're subsidizing more because they don't necessarily have the economies of scale. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of moving parts uh, in that decision. And yes, it is it is not always consistent between different retirement villages. And so it depends where one wants to be and what the levy structure is. A lot of, a lot of um, especially in the States, a lot of um, operators in, in, in transactions like this offer a choice because some people might want you know, perhaps a lower a lower purchase price and less of a refund, or a higher purchase price and more of a refund, or a higher purchase price and and less of a of a levy, or or, or something like that. So, and I think you know, that talks to doing your homework. Are, are different. Mm. Yeah, and it exactly. does. Everyone's circumstances are different, and there, there isn't really a cookie cutter. Mm. But the principle remains the same, and this is what we always tell people: the principle remains the same. Is that it's it's quite challenging. Um, 
to, to get a sectional title uh, senior living community or retirement village to work really, really well mm. for, the, for the issues that, that mm. I've explained from a management perspective, from a financial slash development perspective. The, the model works best in the life rights space, and this is an improvement. If one goes to New Zealand and Australia, where pretty much all their retirement villages there are on a life rights type model. And um, one of the, the questions I also have for you um, are some of the, the issues that I've certainly, you know, so in terms of life rights, there are obviously issues that come up. What's well, the same, quite frankly, the sectional type. Um, but for example, because um, of course I always get complaints, people send complaints to me. And um, mm. one of them is, is this, to me as this well. <laughs> that somebody, you know, somebody, they die and it takes time for the, um, perhaps for the, the unit to be sold. So I suppose that one has to be careful about the contract. So if it takes a while for the unit to be sold, the estate is still liable for those levies um, continuing forward. Is that correct? Would that be the normal contract? I, I, I'm not sure there is a standard practice in this regard. Um, what I can what I can say is that um, what we do is that the estate is not liable for the levies once the person is once the unit's been vacated. So absolutely not, no. But uh, of course, the practice would be different for different operators. I can't speak for them. I can only speak for what we do. Once the unit's been vacated, there are no more levies payable. So, you know, these are the kind of things that I said, this is why I wanted to chat to you. It's important to read your contract. It's important to understand yeah. what it is that you're signing. And uh, now that's a very yeah. good example of, of a good question to ask. Now, what are you yeah. seeing in terms of trends? You know, we have had, the economy hasn't been great. Property prices have done pretty much nothing for the last five years. And, you know, I know somebody who manages a retirement village and he was saying that they're really seeing people struggling to sell their homes. Um, so th so a place becomes available, they want to take it up, they can't sell it. What are you just generally as a matter of interest seeing on the ground at the moment? So I think everyone knows the property market is probably not, the, the residential property market is certainly not the strongest it's been in, you know, in, in recent years. But we haven't seen a material um, change um, in people's appetite uh, to move into these communities or the ability to move into these communities based on factors such as selling of their property. So, so yes, in some circumstances, it's taken a little bit longer, um, but we have you know, been quite accommodating on people um, if we can see that uh, there, there are means to, to settle the purchase price. You know, we are certainly very accommodating to how people need to structure or restructure their finances in order to make sure that they're able to move in. So I think we, you know, I think credible operators need to just just work with their um, incoming residents, you know, to make sure that uh, they're cognizant of the fact that it might take a little bit longer to release that liquidity, and um, and 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 perhaps you know transact slightly differently. The one but thing I, I do, we, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it as a major problem. Let me put it that way. Okay. Also, also, sorry. Also, I think I think there's a lot of emotion attached to a sale of one's property, especially an older person. They've been there for a long time. You know, kids grew up in the house, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Often they have a bit of an inflated idea of what the value of the house is. Um, so I think people, when when they when they're looking to move into a senior living community, I think they need to be realistic about the value of the house and realize that the the little bit of the little bit extra that they might be trying to eke out by you know, by leaving it on the market for a bit longer isn't really serving them, you know, much of a purpose because what they should be doing is 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 making the move sooner rather than later. So, yeah. so you know, realistic pricing of properties I think is quite critical uh, for older people, and they shouldn't necessarily let the emotion get in the way of uh, of them doing what's best for them. If that makes sense. 
I think if you talk to an estate agent, you'll probably find that in most cases, the first offer is the best offer. Um, so holding on very seldom, yeah. seldom works. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, Barry, I've always said, you know, when, when we, if I talk about retirement planning, I say your house is not part of your retirement fund because a lot of people think, oh, I'll downsize, I'll have this extra money. But actually, if you look at it, Moving into retirement villages is not any cheaper than than in terms of the capital. So it's not like you suddenly have capital, but yeah. in many ways, um, you know, you you when you move into life rights, it actually does in a way allow your home to become part of your retirement plan. If that makes sense, because you are able no, to you, take the, the capital. You, 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 you took the words out of my mouth because I was about to say that mm. moving into a life rights in your living community actually makes your home, your primary residence a part of your retirement uh, planning, as you exactly just said, mm. because it's it's giving you access to care if you need it. I say if you need it. I always say if you need it because people have got this perception that they move into a senior living community and all of a sudden they need care. They don't. Yeah. It, it gives you access to care if and when you need it. It gives you access to a, a vibrant community with social life and health and wellness um, activities and hassle-free living and all this kind of stuff. Um, it gives you access to all of that. Um, through the, the the sale of your of your primary residence and and investing that in a in a well-run senior living community. So I agree with you. You're absolutely right with what you just said. It's 100 correct. And that's that's what people you know need, need to be considering when they get to the stage of their life. It's not about you know um, my house is my asset. I must maximise it. It's about how do I maximise my own enjoyment of life, my own peace of mind, and using my house to achieve that. If it's mm-hmm. going to, you know, if I need to sell my house a little bit quicker and I'm going to get 50,000 rand less on a 2 million rand house in my pocket, but I can then make sure that I move where I want to move, when I want to move there, to me, it's a, you know, that's the decision that needs to be made. Absolutely. And Barry, just to end off with, could you just give maybe some key tips if somebody is now shopping around like I have been <laughs> for my, so let's say, what are the key tips you should give my mother um, when looking at a life rights development? What are the kind of T's and C's, the details that they, that you should be looking at? I think the biggest thing is um, what it's going to be like to live there. Okay. The T's and C's we can get to, but the, the important thing is actually not necessarily, if I'm being completely honest, the important thing is not necessarily the legals and not necessarily the T's and C's because that is almost secondary to the credibility of the operator and the experience of someone living there. So talk to the residents, the other residents. If they're happy there, that's where you want to be. If they're happy there, chances are you will not have onerous T's and C's in the agreement because the operator is running it in a certain way And that way is pervasive generally across everything that they do. In other words, if there's a credible operator, there will be reasonable T's and C's in all the the agreement. If it's a credible operator, the residents will be very, very happy living there and they will encourage other people to move in there. So that is the litmus test of anything. Speak to the other residents. You know, a lot of people coming into retirement villages are there because they've got friends there already. So they already know people there or something. You know, it, it often happens like that. But in the event that it is or isn't, the litmus test is to speak to other residents. Everything else will fall into place after that. If that, if they all tell you it's a great place to live, you must move there. Best decision we ever made. If you hear that, that's where you want to be. If you don't hear that, you don't want to be there. Forget about the T's and C's. It doesn't matter. You shouldn't even go there. That's Excellent point. Opinion. Excellent yeah. point. Yeah. And Everything then I think- else will follow. 
everything else. But I think it is they're still worth understanding how it works. You know, make sure you understand how it works because I, sometimes people are, are a little bit surprised, especially the the estate that the children, when they come to inherit, discover that yeah. there was no asset. <laughs> so, no, no, that, that, that's a given. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that that's not important. Yeah. What I'm saying is yeah. that's important whatever you do in life. If you're buying that's a car, you, know, you check how the maintenance plan works, you know. Yeah, absolutely. No but I so, think um, you know it's, it's everything. Whatever you, whatever significant transaction you're doing in your life, always you know always dot the I's and cross the T's. Make sure you understand everything in the in the relevant agreements. But in terms of where to move, the first thing is always to to speak to the community and see what the experiences of living there. That that is the that is the most important. Well, thank you very much, Barry, for that and uh, for giving us some insights into into it. And, and I think, yeah, giving people a bit of an idea of exactly what life rights is and why, why it's actually becoming a more and more popular model in South Africa. So thank you. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.